Support for this podcast comes from the University of Texas Health Science Center at San Antonio and its Biggs Alzheimer's Institute, expanding the horizons of dementia research and advancing comprehensive care. Learn more at uthealthdementia.org. This is August 14, 2018, 9.01 a.m. start. I put my dad in blue jeans, a gray undershirt, and a black polo. Medicine administered, brushed his teeth, coffee and devotion by 9.35 a.m. Chicago social worker Arlita Hall became a full-time caregiver for her dad some years ago when it became clear his dementia was getting worse. It was hard on her emotionally. But whenever she told friends or family about the lengths she had to go to to keep her dad safe, they just say, you have to tell this story. It's so funny. So one night, to lift her spirits, she went to an open mic on a whim and opened up about her life as a caregiver. Now Arlita Hall is making her name as a stand-up comedian, telling stories about caring for her father and finding laughter in a painful situation. Like this story about her dad, who was startled in the bathroom when he saw himself in the mirror and thought it was a stranger. He still know how to wash up, but I got to guide him into the shower. He all good until he peeped that man in the mirror. So he'll be washing up. He'll be like, get out of here! <laughs> what are you doing? Get out! So I'll come in there. I'll be shooting at the man. Bop, 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 get out of my damn shower! Arlita Hall is also making a movie about comedy and care and using her new improv training to teach families and care workers how to talk to people who have dementia. I'm Kitty Isley, and this is 24-7, a podcast about caregiving. Earlier this year, I saw Arlita Hall do a short comedy set at an online event for family caregivers. It was put on by the folks from our last episode, Hilarity for Charity. And Arlita was hilarious. She didn't hold anything back. Then I found a few clips from the movie she's making, and I saw the soft side of Arlita's relationship with her dad, Milton Hall. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you? Okay, we're going pretty good. Came to visit her? Yeah, I sure did. I was like, let me come visit my daddy. Okay, that's good. And I'm glad I didn't take off too soon. I'm glad you waited. Yeah. Arlita's father has a dignity and a sweetness that reminded me so much of my dad. In the clips, he's even wearing the exact same black-and-white checked shirt my dad had. Milton Hall Sr. was a schoolteacher and a principal in Chicago with a bachelor's and master's degree. He also spent time as a cop, DJed at a local gospel station, and later worked for the Board of Education. He held a lot of jobs and enjoyed all of them. My dad was a hard-working man. He was at work all the time, and if he wasn't at work, my dad would be the person that would come get me from anywhere. Like, before I had a license and was driving, my father was the person that would come get me and my friends from the mall, wherever we going, and take us anywhere. Like, even when I was in college, if I needed a ride to the airport, like, that was my dad. And whatever we needed, even financially, like, when I would call my dad, he would say, how much? What do you need? How can I help? <laughs> he was just always there, you know, even though he was uh, the non-custodial parent. So him and my mom, they got divorced when I was a baby, um, actually. And my brother spent every weekend with him, honestly, until March 2020. So um, he was very active in our lives. 
Milton Hall was also a talented musician. He composed and performed in a band with his brother, playing saxophone, piano, and flute. Him and his brother had a group. It was called Two Tons of Soul, Milton and Winston. (laughs) 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 He was a DJ, so he was a DJ for a, a gospel radio station and did like a lot of interviews and he wrote a lot of editorials for um, the paper. So he was very well-rounded individual. And a very intelligent person. Yes. Yes. So it gave me, I guess what it did was make me open to understanding that you can do more than one thing in life. You could be good at different things. And if you're bad at this, you may be good at this. What cued you that he might have some trouble cognitively? So my mother's mother. So my grandma on my mom's side had Alzheimer's when I was, she died when I was seven. So I had already been familiar and we had a a couple other people in our family who had it. And how I noticed is we would have conversations and he would go on a tangent and just get confused. So my stepmom told us first, she was like, I think your dad is experiencing dementia. In 2015, We had our family reunion here in Chicago. As we were planning it, everything was cool. I wrote out like what we needed to be working on, all the information we needed to be gathering. It was me, my my uncles, and my dad. And then we were meeting weekly. For the next three weeks, my dad would come back with the same information and reading it from the top to the bottom as if it was the first time. And I was like, oh my goodness. But I didn't have time to like, to be honest with you, feel. I was like, we have a family reunion. We have all these people come in here. Mind you, we haven't seen these people in our family since we were kids ourselves, like six or seven. And my daddy, who was connected with all these people, can't help me. And I didn't want to tell everybody because I wasn't sure all the way what we were dealing with. But when the family reunion came and my family came here, my dad really wasn't Normally, he's the social butterfly. Mm-hmm. Like When he come on the scene, he talking to everybody. My dad is someone you'll bring somewhere and you have no idea that he knows more people at your event than you do. And when he couldn't get from his house to downtown Chicago, which is only like one expressway, it was uh, very clear for me. So it was direction, um, conversation, and his behavior is just a social butterfly, like to go to being withdrawn is almost to me as if he knew he was too confused to have a conversation. It just took me out because to me, this is like the smartest man I know. So to watch him just completely not know who he was, my heart was just broke. That first time when you really have to accept that this person is forgetting who they are, it's hurtful. It's frightening because you don't know what's next. Eventually, I was just like, how do I prepare for the unexpected every day? At some point, you quit your job to take care of him. Tell me about why you decided to and what what that meant every day. So I was working for the state of Illinois. I was determining eligibility for Medicaid and SNAP benefits, so which is like the Supplementary Nutrition Assistance Program. So for me, as a caseworker, I loved my job. Um, I loved what I did. I loved interacting with the community. But by the time I would get off work from doing, doing that type of service, and then to my dad, I would be exhausted. And I wouldn't be able to really help him. I would just be, I'm falling asleep. Uh, I can't really, I don't have the energy for this. And 
that's not what I really what I the kind of relationship that I ever had with him and I didn't want it to be like that. Like the relationship that I had, my dad was always positive. We were always laughing. So I wanted to do that. And I was like, I can't work this job and do this. And because I've seen what Alzheimer's does, I know this is about to be hard, but it's gotta be a way that we can just enjoy this because we already enjoyed each other. And he, he didn't know he had Alzheimer's all, you know. So when I would come up here, he would still be, it would be like a light, like, hey, Arlita, how you doing? So I'm like, if I could be doing that every day, I'll figure out how to do the rest. Arlita took a leave from her job and then extended that leave and ultimately decided her dad needed someone full time and she was in the best position to do it. She was able to get some pay from the state of Illinois, through a program that compensates family caregivers. But it was a big income loss and a big adjustment. I went from being like on salary, having a career job that people retire from, to having to use like everything I've ever known, like every artistic skill to become like an entrepreneur. So from all of this, you've quit your job after much, you know, trying to make it work other ways. And from there, somehow, you stand up in front of an open mic night and... Start telling the story of your dad. So the open mic that I went to was an improvised open mic um, where you pull out of the hat and you can talk about that subject. I mean, you get four minutes. And for me, I've always been very silly and I've always been very funny. And I I crushed. Like, I won (laughs) for the night. So Arlita kept going back. And as her dad declined, she realized she had more stories to tell, including her father's habit of wandering out of the house and disappearing. He is a wanderer. That's a part of this disease that they have. So he always trying to go somewhere. So I try not to leave him locked in. You know, I'm like, my daddy could go where he want to go. So we started- I took him for a walk outside over here by his house. And it just did not go well. Like, as soon as we got outside and started walking down the street, he turned around and didn't know who I was. He started running away from me. I see a woman coming towards us. My daddy like, ma'am, ma'am, do you need help? I'm like, oh, God. God. So I'm running behind him. Then she like, sir, do you need help? I'm like, no, I need help. (laughs) He is a person with dementia. I finally got him in the house and I was crying about it. I was really hurt. And I end up telling my mom about it. And my mom was cracking up. I mean, she thought it was so funny. And to the point, as I'm telling her, she was, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry to laugh. I'm sorry. <laughs> the way you, the way you saying it just sounds so funny. And what else he do? So then I called my stepmom back and was telling her, and she was like, yeah, I didn't want to laugh earlier when you came back in the house, but I saw your little feet running down the street. Now, I did think it was kind of funny watching you chase him. So I went (laughs) to the open mic (laughs) that night, and I ended up telling the producer at the open mic about it, just sad by conversation. And she was like, that's a funny story. You should tell it on stage. Um, and after that, I've been, I put it in my stand-up and then I would just, anything that he would do to frustrate me or just would be crazy or getting him out or just difficult tasks, I would tell it on stage. People thought it was funny. I was like, oh, if I tell the audience about it, they like it. Uh, this is actually funny. And people would come up to me after the show and be like, yeah, my father has Alzheimer's and my grandma or my aunt. And I was kind of like that. It's interesting. They do do stuff like this. So for me, I realized that I had a community outside of my, I wasn't the only one. So I was 
just being myself, like I'm just going to be transparent with my journey. And the more transparent I became with my journey, the more gratified I started feeling in it. How do you, or how did you walk the balance when you're laughing about what goes on with him with feeling like you're maybe exposing him a little bit? For me, it was like, this is, this is all I have. And to be just frank, nobody else over here helping me. So whatever y'all think about what I'm doing and how I'm dealing with it, it doesn't even matter because you're not here. You're not doing it. And it's my truth. This is my truth. It ain't no bad in this. How can I be doing bad when I'm doing the greatest thing that I can be possibly doing for him? For me, it just became like the ownership of this is what I'm over here doing. You're not helping. And if you do have something to say, I'm not listening unless it's followed up with an action of you helping. (laughs) We need to take a short break. And when we come back, Arlita Hall talks about what improv taught her about talking to people with dementia. The University of Texas Health Science Center at San Antonio is proud to support the 24-7 podcast. Its Biggs Alzheimer's Institute is expanding the horizons of Alzheimer's research while supporting everyone involved in dementia care, from patients and families to healthcare professionals. Learn more about the free online programs and educational resources at uthealthdementia.org. This is 24-7, a podcast about caregiving. I'm Kitty Isley. As Arlita Hall started sharing more caregiving stories at more open mic nights, she also started taking some improv classes around Chicago. And she realized that improv comedy had some techniques that made it easier to care for her dad. As an improviser, you have to be okay with being in a moment and coming up with your own ideas and being supportive to the team, but also be open to whatever they're going to say and, and how to move the scene and support. When you're saying yes, yes, and like they do an improv and you're agreeing with what's going on and and let's do this and let's do this, you open up the possibilities for a conversation. So when he had Alzheimer's and he was just trying to be, you know, or happy to see me, I just stayed in that moment. And whatever he was saying, if he stood up and started talking and nobody knew what he was talking about, I would just be like, right, you right, daddy. You know, I didn't necessarily have a character or knew all the words to move along, but I was always naturally validating him. Arlita found a local series of workshops that were training caregivers in improv to communicate better with people with dementia. Arlita got certified as a dementia communicator and then began training others at a local nursing school, all the while trying out her improv skills on her dad, Milton. You had one time where you he thought you should bring him some orchestra music or deliver his compositions and make sure the orchestra had his music. Mm-hmm. And I think it was Black History Month or something. And I want to have you tell me how you responded in that moment. I used to leave his saxophone put together. So around the house, if he see it, like maybe he'll play it. So um, I was at his house during Black History Month and he was like, asked me why I was there. He, I walked past, he was like, well, what are you doing here? And I was like, well, actually I was sent here to interview you because it is Black History Month, Milton, and you've been doing some great things in Chicago. And this time we just acknowledge you. 
And he was totally okay with that. So I started just piecing it together like, well, how do you feel about being a black man in Chicago? What do you want to say to the children about music? And how do you feel he like, they should be doing it everywhere. And and, and, and if you had anything, you, you, you make sure that they know about what's going on and how to be involved. So he wanted kids to be involved. So I was like, well, can you do us a favor? I said, is that your saxophone right there? And I pointed to him and he looked, he was like, yes, it is. I said, can you play us just a small tune, just something we can show the kids? So um, he said, I sure can. Because he that was one of the, re- the reasons that he was a teacher and a principal. Um, my dad would go above and beyond for those kids. He really wanted to make sure that they had involvement and knew how to be somebody in his life and knew how to have the proper connections. So it meant a lot to me to be able to validate him in that moment when he thought that that's what was going on, if that makes sense. It's so beautiful. It just really is because like you pick up on something, he's in some other place and you just like create a scene for him in which more of him's coming out. Like you're able to access more of him and he feels great about it. Like that's so beautiful to me. Thank you. He died. Your dad died earlier this winter? Yes, in February, February 17th. Were you able to be with him? Yes. So um, I was here. He went into hospice February 10th. At that point, I kind of knew. I went out and uh, my dad fell. He normally couldn't get back up when he falls and he couldn't. So my stepmom called me and I came home. And then so I got him up and then put him in the bed. And we took him to the doctor, me, my brother, and my stepmom, Charmaine. And the doctor recommended hospice. So by the 10th, I watched my dad stop drinking, eating, and uh, walking. And he passed by the 17th. And so I knew that he was about to pass. The hospice team was here every day. It's a tricky situation. And it could be frightening. And it is, it's, it's a lot. And so I was very proud that I was able to go all the way through because it was getting so hard that I didn't know how much more I could really do. And when they pass, it's like the tornado that you was in is still there. You're still in it. You still, you, your life is wrapped around this person to a certain degree. Um, so it was, it took me a while. I still be looking for my dad, if that makes sense, because I'm so used to doing for certain things for him and him being a part of my life in a lot of different ways. So it was, the, is a process. The image of being all tied up and wrapped around that person is really true too. You said somewhere you miss caregiving. What do you miss? I don't know. I miss the whole thing. Like I miss, I miss helping my daddy. I miss, I miss my daddy reaching for me, um, reaching for my hand to, uh, to know that I was about to help him. I miss helping him put his clothes on. I miss my daddy kissing me on my forehead, but I really, I miss when my daddy knew my name and would say it out loud. I just miss our experience. Like daily we had, that was like my best friend. I had, gotten so close to him with Alzheimer's because as a parent without Alzheimer's, he had like a guard up, like a parental guard up. I'm your father. Like, mm. <laughs> and, like, and with Alzheimer's, it was like, who am I? I mean, I'm your daddy, but you seem cool. Like, <laughs> you know, like I could talk to you a little bit, right? Oh, you go, oh, let's relax. Like, and I noticed he would relax around me. So just that sense of friendship, just that sense of love. Like I knew my, I felt the love that my daddy had for me. We was a pair. I know the feeling. And 
I don't know why it feels like I have to justify how hard it was, but I kind of, in my mind, I have to like, I keep telling people like, it was so hard. And it wasn't like I was feeling like I need all this credit. I just somehow needed understanding. Like, no, you're not wrong. This was incredibly hard. It was hard. It was hard. (laughs) Hardest thing I have ever had to do. And I'm very happy to even be having this conversation with you, someone that has went through it um, and understands. Like, and we have so much in common about how we experience this. And you, I, I, I can't get past it. And for some reason, it, and I think that's why you feel the tornado for so long, because you're like, wait, I just did that? Whoa, whoa, what just really happened? Um, and then you, you, you're you still grieving after that. Well, let me, that brings me to the question about your film. You're making a documentary about f- what you call finding your laughter. Yes. What do you hope people see? It's, it's very special to me that I really reach caregivers. Um, I want them to see and be validated in their caregiving situation. I want people to see different tools for communicating with people that have Alzheimer's and dementia. I want my film to break the silence. We are often too quiet about it. Don't talk about Alzheimer's, shush, shush. I don't wanna be involved. I don't wanna see this person like this. And we're not healing as a world with it. We're not dealing with this. And for those of us that have friends or family members that don't know anything about Alzheimer's. Um, I would like my film to just be that introductory to be like, okay, I'm going to have a little bit more respect when I run into a caregiver because that is hard. (laughs) Comedian, caregiver, and dementia communicator, Arlita Hall. You can find her around Chicago, performing at Second City, where she's a comedy fellow, and teaching care and comedy workshops while she finishes her documentary, Finding Your Laughter. 24-7 is produced by me, Kitty Isley, with Ben Henry. We have editing help from Cindy Carpian. If you have a caregiving experience or a quick anecdote to share, let us know with an email or record a brief voicemail and contact us at 247 at tpr.org. 24-7 is a production of Texas Public Radio.